0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writer's Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN, and every Saturday morning I have the pleasure of doing the down-the-stretch radio show on Sirius XM with one of the greatest of all time, Mr. Dave Johnson.
0: Zoe Cabman here. I work for First Racing and XB TV. Now, I thought I'd actually moved Burt Reynolds out of my shot, but now he's right behind me. I'd actually replaced Burt with this. I don't know if you can see it, Bill. This is one of my favorite pictures the great late Arrogate winning the Dubai World Cup, and that's me on the pony next to him. And you would have never heard a gasp when I was by the gate when he broke last out of the gate, and I was like, oh, God damn it, who am I going to interview now after the race? <laughs> Thinking that Mike Smith wouldn't run anywhere, and there he goes, circled the field, and won the race. So but it's been replaced by Arrogate, but apparently you can see Bert right behind me now, which Sue's absolutely loving
1: and one of our partners in crime, Randy Moss, is on assignment this week. want well, to remind you, this week and every week, we're brought to you by our good friends at Keeneland. So it started out, Zoe, like it was going to be a dreadfully slow news week. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what are we going to talk about on the show? But uh, lo and behold, something always does seem to happen. And it was a big one again. Um I had pretty much forgotten about the whole scopalamine case with justify it hadn't been in the news in so long i couldn't have told you where it stood but we found out last week and you know the background i won't go too deep into it because i'm sure most of the people that listen to our show know what happened he tested positive for scopalamine after the 2018 Santa anita derby but the california horse racing board for uh, I guess the best way to look at it kind of look the other way Um they had the reasons for doing it. But when it was revealed that he w- did test positive, um, Mick Ruiz, the trainer and owner of Oro, filed a lawsuit. And as these things happen, it took a while and went through this uh, hoop and that hoop and that hoop. Lo and behold, last week an LA County Superior Court judge said that the stewards had to disqualify uh, um justify because of the Scopalamine positive. And that's where we stand right now. Um, I don't know if there's another round of appeals or not. Uh, in 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 our court system, there's probably 25 more rounds of appeals. But this was a, a a big one. I mean, this is an undefeated horse, triple crown winner. And as things stand now, he has been disqualified from the San Diego Derby. And this
0: case was not against Bob Baffert. The case was definitely against the CHRB. And no one really knew what was going on until 2019. Um, Justify won the Derby in 2018. We didn't hear anything about the scopamine case and the Jimson weed, which was the other contaminate. And while nothing's really been written, the word on the street was there were more than one case of a positive case. There were at least a dozen cases that were all tossed aside. But the only one that really came to the fray was Bob Baffert again, because his horse won the Derby and him and Mick Rewis have been butting heads for quite some time. So scopamine is now not as serious as it then was. They've um, readjusted their measurements on a lot of things now. So if that was the case now, you'd be absolutely fine. Uh, does Bill, Does Mick Ruiz need the money? Does he need the extra 400000 No. It was just a case in point that at the time that was an illegal substance that he tested positive for. Was it the right thing, the wrong thing? I don't know. It's It's been going on for so long. Mick won. Will they fight it? I I don't know either. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't really negate anything that justifies has done because he was simply an absolutely brilliant horse.
1: Right. I, I mean, I totally agree with you on that. W- the presence of this substance or, or, or whatever it was had nothing to do with him winning the Santa Anita Derby. But if you read between the lines and, and kind of try to figure out what the CHRB was thinking, it appears it was somewhere along the lines of this. Okay. This drug got into the horse's system. It was 99.99% certain to have been environmental contamination. And oh, by the way, we're getting rid of it, the rule just down the road. And if this were to happen, maybe three, four months later, it wouldn't even have been declared a positive. Therefore, you know what? Let's give the guy a break and just look the other way. I, you know, not being in the room in these discussions, but sure seems like that's what they decided to do. And that's not right. You can't make the rules up as you go along. You could say the rule was a bad rule. And apparently they did because they changed the qualification, uh, the specification of uh, scopalamine. But as Daryl Vienna, the lawyer, very well-respected lawyer who represented Mick Ruiz said, there's a longstanding standing rule that any horse racing with a prohibitive substance in its systems must be disqualified and the purse redistributed. There's no gray area. Those are the facts. The horse should have been disqualified. And the CHRB didn't do their job.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with the facts. You cannot argue with the facts. But what I would really like, if you're going to like dig up this can of worms, who are the other ones? Were they disqualified? No. So if you're going to disqualify him, you have to retroactively go back and disqualify everyone. Don't you? No, I mean, it, it was a I mean, big mess don't you don't you have to go back and figure out who tested positive if he was not the only one don't you have to dig back and go through all of it and DQ all of them
1: i suppose you do they've opened up a massive can of worms here that that that, that is very difficult to deal with now the other uh, part about this is that the his justified status for the Kentucky Derby the he had zero points going into the San Anita Derby and he got the points, all the points he needed by winning the San Diego Derby. Had he been disqualified between the time of the San Diego Derby and time of entry for the Kentucky Derby, he would not have had enough points to run in the race. But so he wasn't. You know, people are bringing this up. Well, he should even have been allowed to run in the Derby. On this one, I, I'm on the side of Churchill Downs and, and the people involved there. They had no way of knowing this. How on earth were they supposed to say, oh, he had this scopalamine positive. We're not going to allow him to enter the Derby. I also see already Horse Racing Nation reported, got a quote from somebody at Churchill Downs saying they have no intention to, you know, look at and fiddle with the results of the Kentucky which, Derby. When, and again, which is what you said, Zoe, uh, he was going to win the race anyways.
0: Don't you think that's ironic with the seemingly big vendetta <laughs> that Churchill has against Bob? They, they have now an excuse to like disqualify him again would you not think they'd be just jumping on this
1: yeah uh, absolutely (laughs) Um, but uh, now again you know are these things that Haissa is going to change and is going to make you know um, because didn't, this didn't sit well. This didn't make anybody look good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it made the CIHRB look bad. You know, even though I, I don't even for a minute blame Baffert on this. He had to take another public relations hit o- over this thing. And also the lack of transparency. You know, um, nobody likes Joe Drake from The New York Times. Um, but if he didn't write a story about this 17-months after the Santa Anita Derby, I guarantee you they would have got away with sweeping this under the rug forever. Now, we, know, we all know transparency is important. This is not the right way to do things. I think the California Horse Racing Board, by and large, does a very good job. But th- this was not their finest hour.
0: No. Uh, I mean, you write the rules, you play by the rules. They're your own rules. You should at least try and follow them.
1: Well, we'll see uh, going forward. Uh, maybe someone out there, uh, good magic finished second in the 2018 uh, Kentucky Derby. I can't imagine those folks would, uh, they are not. don't seem like the type that would run into the courtroom to try to get uh, uh, the race overturned. And, and, and again, this this has no impact on Justify as a sire. Like That's not like, oh, we're not gonna lower a sire fee because he's now one less, he's not undefeated. So it really is about Mick Ruiz trying to make an extra $400,000. You say he doesn't need the money to me. That's a lot of money. He doesn't need the money. Trust me. We'll see. All right.
0: (laughs) We do want to remind you that the TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Do make sure to start your year right. It may be a little chilly, but make plans to attend the Keeneland January Horses of All Ages sale, taking place from January the 8th to January the 11th. I might try and get there myself. Keeneland's January Horses of All Ages sale is noted for high-quality broodmare prospects and short yearlings and being among the final opportunities for breeders to obtain stock as the breeding season nears. Supplemental entries are still being accepted and we'll be right back after this message from Keeneland.
2: At Keeneland,
0: a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak hands that hold our sport to a higher standard, not for our sake, but for theirs, for the love of the horse for generations
1: to come. And the TDN Riders Room is brought to you by the fast sires at Windstar Farm. Who is the fastest horse of the week? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, who's that fast sire at Windstar? And once again, if speed is the key, it's Nashville. Nashville continues to hold the track record at Keeneland through two Breeders' Cup weekends, the six-for-a-long-time of 107.89. He's off to a fast start at stud, breeding 204 mares in 2023, 91% of whom are in full. Nashville stands for a fee of $15,000. Now, who was that fastest horse of the week? Well, we're going to be talking about him just a bit coming up in the next segment. It was the Dallas stewart Train Hoist the Gold ran a career best race. He ran a huge race in Cigar Mile to get a one oh nine buyer figure. So congratulations to the whole team behind Hoist the Gold to not only win the cigar, but to get the coveted fastest Horse of the Week award here on our TDN podcast. All right, Zoe, the weekend races, um, we're obviously going to talk about the cigar in just a minute, but let's go first The, the couple. Well, look, folk, there's a ton of weekend races, but let's just focus on the big two tracks where they happen. One was the, at Aqueduct, the Remsen, uh, and Demoiselle and the Cigar, and then, of course, out at Del Mar, the Hollywood Derby and the Chad Brown Invitational in, in the matriarch. Um <laughs> Remsen hasn't produced a Kentucky Derby winner in quite some time, but but this was an interesting race, and, and I think we've got a good chance to see both the winner and the second place chance. You know, make some noise uh, along the way at the Triple Crown. Uh, first of all, Dornock was the most famous horse in Saratoga who had yet never won a, re- never even ran a race. And trainer Danny Gargan, uh, who's a, a, is that's his personality. He's an effusive guy. He, you know, he likes to talk up his horses. Said this is the best horse I've ever trained. Well, we'll find out on the racetrack, but the pedigree was right there, of course, because he's a full brother to Mage, uh, the Kentucky Derby winner. So everybody was taking a look at him. He ran twice uh, and got beat both times, finished second. All of a sudden, it looked like maybe the hype was a little bit um, more than it needed to be or more than it should be. But then he won an allowance race and came into the Ramson and wins by a nose over Sierra Leone, gets a 91 buyer figure. Zoe, why don't you tell us what you think of Doorknock? But I also want to get back to the runner-up, Sierra Leone, because I have a lot to say about him.
0: Ooh, well, uh, my first, <laughs> my first thought when I was watching it was, how the hell did he win that? I've got no idea. He looked like he was in quicksand at the eighth pole. He's got this big galloping stride and he's still so green. And this is something that Danny said all along, that he doesn't really know how to run. He managed to switch leads eventually and he's just looking for company. Kendrick Carmouche wrote him a few starts ago and said that, Once a horse gets beside him, he'll fight. And that is exactly what you saw. You saw him bounce off the rail. He bounded out there in front and set some honest fractions on his own, going the two turns at Aqueduct, hit the rail just through greenness. And then we saw Sierra Leone come like, God, he was dead last and just came with this massive rally. And it was unbelievable to see Dorna get passed by Sierra Leone, And then get squeezed down on the rail and just keep fighting and come through and win by a head. It was a fantastic race by Dornock. Was he the best horse in the race? I'm not sure he was because I think Sierra Leone is maybe a big, big deal. But Dornock is slowly putting it all together. If you look at him physically, Bill... He's very tall, very lean, very long. He's just got a big, beautiful frame to fill out into, being the full brother to Mage.
1: Zoe, so I've been told, he, he doesn't really look like Mage. They're very, no, two no, different, no. very different horses.
0: Looks nothing like him. He's, you know, what did Bob Baffert say about real quiet? Look like a fish. That was kind of doorknob. The first time I saw him at Saratoga, I said to Danny, bring out this, this full brother to Mage that you keep talking about. Let me see him. And I was just looking up. And I was like, wow, he's really tall. And not very well furnished, not yet. As a three-year-old, now he's going to be. Danny's going to give him some time, take him down to Florida, tack walk him for two or three weeks, maybe point to the withers. I have a feeling that once they get to the nice warm air of Florida, they're not going to want to come back to Aqueduct. But let's talk about Sierra Leone, who, oh my goodness, his first race was good. Now, I really know all about him. I'm Worked with a bloodstock agent, Moret Farrell, and she tried hard on this horse at the Fazig-Tipton August Sale at Saratoga, where he sold for $2.3 million to MV Magna and Peter Brandt's white uh, birch stable. He was absolutely beautiful as a yearling. We all fell in love with him. Progeny, Gunrunner had all the bits in all the right places, beautiful mover. But that was an awful lot of money to pay for him, $2.3 million. Does he look like he's worth it now? I mean, probably not yet, but there's a lot to come there for Sierra Leone.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're on the same page here, and I, I bet you about 75% of the people would be. If you ask them um, which of these two horses, Doorknock and Sierra Leone, is more likely to win the Kentucky Derby, I, I think, again, 75% or so, maybe even more, would say Sierra Leone for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. I mean, it's a $2.3 million purchase, Chad Brown, and and he ran a remarkable race. He was 10th beaten 12 and a half lengths down the backstretch. And it was a day when closers were not making up any ground. Now, the only uh, blemish on him, he, he had the race, one. He got by Dornock, and maybe he idled it a little bit in, in the final three or four strides. But, you know, based on the connections, based on the breeding and whatnot, I, I mean, I think Dornock could be a very good horse as well. But um, this is a race where I, I think most people looked at the runner-up and said, wow, you know, He's the one for me uh, going forward. All right.
0: But you still got to love what Dornock was able to accomplish. Danny Gargan, back-to-back wins in the Remsen, took it last year with Nell as well. So maybe Danny's going to write his name all over this race, but he was one happy camper after the race.
1: Uh, good for him. All right, the Demoiselle was on the card. Not much to talk about two-year-old fillies. Life talk, even money for Todd Pletcher, coming off a uh, fourth-place finish in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Um, this horse is making just FYI look good. Fourth behind just FYI in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and third behind just FYI in the Frizzette. Um, certainly, I don't think, you know, one of the top uh, two-year-old fillies uh, out there right now. Uh, we'll see what she does down the road. But um, she gets a good win, but uh, I'm not real excited about her. Run almost a full second
0: slower than the boys, which is fine. I mean, Gunrunner would have been the talk of the day If Sierra Leone had won, because Life Talk is by Gunrunner as well. um, She was a $350,000 Keeneland September yearling. How about Todd Pletcher and his record in the Demoiselle? He has now won it nine times. And I'm going to count off the fillies that he's won it with, because the Demoiselle, to me at least, maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't know that much, but it doesn't strike me as like this wonderful race that these champions all seem to manage to win. But they do if they're trained by Todd Pletcher. Julia Shining, Nest, Malafat, Stop Charging Maria, Unlimited Budget, Disposable Pleasure, Ashada. His first one was Smoke and Frolic for Dogwood back in 2001. So Todd knows how to win this race. That's a good list of fillies.
1: All right, the big uh, race on Saturday was the Grade 2 Cigar Mile, and as we mentioned earlier, is won by Hoist the Gold. By four and a half lengths, trained by Dallas Stewart, ever so mischievous, the five to two favorite, ran very poorly to finish 11th. And, um, you know, this is a horse so to me. I couldn't have come up with this horse on paper. He was running OK in sprint races. You know, it looked like six, seven furlongs was really his cup of tea. Um, you know, Dallas Stewart's never afraid to throw a horse in a, in a spot where he's going to be 20 to one. But, you know, he thinks he thinks he's got a chance. And he ran. He. Really ran a big race. Um the first fractions, 22 and 2, 44 and 4. Um, that should have been well, he was on the lead, that should have really knocked him cold coming into the stretch. And it did anything but, I mean, he finished very strongly. He wins by four and a half lengths. Um, I think don't think this was anywhere close to being a a you know a star-studded version of of the cigar mile, but uh, maybe they found out what he wants to do now. Maybe that he does want to go a little bit longer. They're actually talking about taking him in the Saudi cup now. I don't blame them. It was a coming out party
0: for Hoist Gold, Johnny V rode him. He ran in the Breeders' Cup, right? Yeah. Johnny V rode him last time, and full credit to Johnny V and Dallas Stewart for giving Johnny V the credit. He simply said to him, run this horse two turns at Aqueduct. He doesn't like the dirt in his face. And Dallas was like, oh, okay, Sure. Let's go to Aqueduct. Let's go to the Cigar Mile and put him right on the lead. No dirt in his face and look like a winner every single step of the way. It was a Hall of Fame ride by Johnny V. So I am delighted that Dallas Stewart for once is not a runner up in a big race. He was a little bit bummed that the Cigar Mile is not a grade one. And we'll get to talking about that in just a little while. If you look at the horses that have won it since 2017, you could probably see why. So we have Hoist the Gold, Mind Control, American Revolution, True Timber, Maximum Security, and Pattern Recognition. Those names don't jump off the page, but they did beforehand. Sharp Azteca, Connect, Tonalist, Private Zone, Flat Out, and Stay Thirsty. It's been downgraded to a grade two. So I I think the answer is in the past winners.
1: Yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit later. OK, so let's swing out to Del Mar, where if you got the fall meet at Del Mar and you got grass racing, you know the Chad Brown mm-hmm. is going to have some impact on this. And the two big races were the Hollywood Derby and the Matriarch. And I, I can uh, I can lump them both in together here because the story was not the horses per se, it was Chad Brown. And he comes into the Hollywood Derby with program training. trading wins by a neck over web Slinger at four to five. Uh, that result makes integration a horse we've been talking quite a bit about who won the Hill Prince look even better because he was uh, second behind integration in the Virginia Derby. In this race, Chad Brown ties Charlie Winningham's record for four wins. In the Hollywood Derby. Okay, so what do you do for an encore? <laughs> Only Chad Brown can pull this one off. The next day in the matriarch stakes, he runs four horses, and they run one, two, three, four, with surge capacity at nine to two, winning the race. Um, this is five straight wins in the matriarch for Chad Brown. He's won six of the last seven. He's closing in on Bobby Frankel's record of eight wins on the race. And by the way, if you, if you were Curious, this is not the first time Chad Brown has finished 1-2-3-4 in a graded stakes race. He did it in the 2022 Diana at Saratoga. But Zoe, here how about these statistics? Um, and they don't go back that far because remember, Chad Brown has not been training all that long. He's won 18 races at Del Mar. 18 of them are graded stakes, 13 are grade ones. So you've got a guy who's won 18 stakes races at Del Mar over the last, I should have found out when this started, but it's probably about the last 10 years ago. And he's not even stable there. I mean, <laughs> they, it fits in so perfectly for his program. His fillies are still fresh this time of year. There's uh, really, uh, we've gotten to the end of grass racing season in the East Coast. He sends these things out there and and they they just perform one after another. But just to think, one, two, three, four in a grade one race, um, you know, that, that's something that uh, <laughs> it takes a tremendous outfit with a tremendous Tremendous amount of talent at stable to do that, and uh, he didn't give your poor California horses a prayer, Zoe.
0: No, he didn't. And you know, the favorite ran fourth, and uh, I believe Chad was maybe a little bit miffed. He went, a little, she went a little bit quick up front. That was White White Beam on the lead the whole way. But I mean, such capacity. Myself and Randy talked about this last week. How how does she go off nine to two? Everyone was betting on White Beam. I love it. was Joey. I think she was
1: nine to one.
0: No, no, she was, was nine she to nine two. two.
1: Nine to two. Okay. She
0: was nine to two. Okay. Um, she's only lost once. She gets Flavian Pratt aboard her. She's a half to a really good filly by Ways called ways and means who she did only break her maiden and then she got hurt in the spinaway. Like, how does she go off nine to two? In fact, I think Joelle Rosario wrote her. Excuse me. Um, she was purchased for 200,000. Um, actually, she's a homebred for Clarovich. This is what I was, I was looking up. Where did she come from? She's a homebred for Clarovich. Her dam was purchased for 200,000. She was then dispersed and sold for 40. Mike Ryan, the bloodstock agent for Clarovich, bought her back. She had ways and means and then was sold at the Fazig November sale for like $2.1 million. She's a really good filly. Like, oh my goodness. I don't know. It was a very, very good
1: race. Very, very good result for Chad Brown. Hey, I want to remind you, the TDN Riders Room is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. Where do Pennsylvania Breds win? Everywhere. On Sunday, Elsie Racing, Cassius King, and Gary Barber's Morning Matcha added a third stakes win to her resume with a last to first win in the $125,000 Staten Island Division in the New York Stallion Stakes Series four-year-old filly now has earnings of just shy of $900,000. The 2024 stallion and boarding farm directory is now available on our website, pabread.com. Take a look at the new five new stallions for 2024. Last leg of the 1,000,000 two-year-old PA Sire PA Bread Stallion Series is set for December 27th with two $200,000 races and a mile and 70 yards. Check the pabread.com website to make sure your two-year-old is nominated. We'll be right back after this message from the PHBA.
3: PA Bread, I think we've built a a brand at this point. The state of Pennsylvania has the best breeders program in the entire United States. Angel of Empire wins the Arkansas Derby and wins it clear. Caravel in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint.
2: Pennsylvania and the PHBA have the best state-bred program in the country, bar none. The best breeders' Awards and stallion Awards in the country. The
1: TDN Writers Room is brought to you by The Green Group, a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and designed to save you taxes. This week's guest will be Len Green, who runs The Green Group. So I guess Len will be talking to himself in a mirror for one hour <laughs> as he gives himself tax advice, but uh, it pays to listen to Len no matter what the circumstances are. And we welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week. There's none other than the Mr. Green Group himself, Len Green. He's one of our primary sponsors, and we're glad to have him on because he's always got a lot to tell us about horse racing, his DJ stable. And most importantly, he can sit down right now and over the next 20 minutes or so I'm sure you're going to learn a lot about how to better handle tax handle your tax situation, especially when it comes with, for those of you who have a stable of racehorses. Len, thanks for joining us. Let's do a couple of horse racing questions first. And, uh, I, I imagine Wonder Wheel was kind of a bittersweet year for you. I mean, there's so much good. You bought her for 275,000. You sold her at the, uh, tip tipped in November for 3.2 million. She wins the Breeders Cup Juvenile Phillies. You win the Eclipse Award, yet. That her 2023 three-year-old campaign was a loss. 0 for 3, she just wasn't the same horse. So two-part question, what went wrong this year? And as you look back on her career, you know, how will you look at it?
2: That was a great question. Okay. And again, I, I was speaking the other day okay, for, 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 for a partnership on, okay, and they said to me, how can you make money in the business? I said, it's very easy. I said, just win the, the Breeders' Cup and then turn around and sell your horse for $3 million. (laughs) It it made it bittersweet also, Bill, because it's the the horse that my Mm -hmm. wife named, et cetera, kind of thing. But, you know, if you decide that you want to run this as a business, and I think it's very, very important to want to run it as a business and not just pet noses or, or have champagne or do other things, I think you have to make business decisions. And the business decisions are that when a horse no longer is a racing horse, it's time to cut bait and, and and sell it kind of thing. If I had to look back in retrospect, I might say, you know, maybe it's not worth taking a horse out of training after a tough campaign, wait several months and try to get it back into racing form. Okay. So again, that's in retrospect. With this particular horse, maybe with other horses, if it, it, it works. So right now, for instance, okay, we had horses that that that, that, that ran in the Breeders' Cup this year, or or ran in, in the in the the event leading up to the Breeders' Cup, which which in the case is Web Slinger. Okay, the, the the sensible thing on Web Slinger would be okay. Tough campaign, ran eight times let's give it two or three months off. And I'm saying, no, okay, let's go into light training for a while, give, give it a month or a half. But let's not stop it. So even though we didn't do well in those three races, I think it's still, it signaled that, hey, now was the time to sell it as opposed to racing on Bill. So that's the difference between, I think people who are in this thing for a hobby or, or not into a, a business. Business says you make business decisions and you know as much as you can about the business. And kind of later on, you, you, there's going to be a question, I'm sure, as as to, you know, how do you withstand IRS scrutiny on hobbies and, and how do you become active? And we're going to talk about the active test, which is 100 hours. But people don't realize listening to this podcast, yes, okay, re- re- reading the TDN every day, okay, those hours count. Toward the 100-hour test. So suddenly, instead of being passive, and maybe you have passive losses and you can't use them, suddenly they become active losses and you can use them. So, again, business over and and enjoy it. It's it's one of the toughest businesses I ever met who was in.
0: Well, that was a, good that for a
2: long answer to a simple question? Yeah,
0: that, that was a segue from Wonder Wheel to Taxes. I'm not sure anyone else could have done that apart from you, Len. That was, that was bloody brilliant. And, and one other thing we can learn from you, Len, is how to dress. You're looking very dapper. Bill, you know, maybe next week, shirt yeah, and tie. Yeah, Len's
1: got me beat pretty good.
0: Yeah, shirt and tie, cufflinks, you're yeah. looking extremely dapper.
2: Yeah, so thank you very much, but well, 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 you, you can remind Bill, since he's not a client, okay? That, that if you do get dressed up, okay, you can use some of these things. You can you can use the hairdresser. You can use all those things because you you, you, you guys are celebrities. So there's special <laughs> tax deductions that are available for celebrities. That, that that outfit that he wears we're wearing right now would not qualify. No,
1: This for me is being
2: dressed up. Okay? <laughs> Okay, I, I, I was so noted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, well,
0: let, let's talk a little bit more about your horses. You had a great weekend at Del Mar. A web slinger ran a massive second in the Hollywood Derby. Talk a little bit about him. And you had a nice maiden winner yesterday at Del Mar by the name of Golden Ghost.
2: Yeah, again, I, this is the first time that we ventured out to California. Part of it was the incentive that, that they're now offering as far as paying for the horse, et cetera. Two was that that, that, that Tyler Galfione, who used to ride for us, okay, and was going on vacation, and we said, gee, if you're available, we really think we got a shot at a couple of races. So he actually flew out there instead of going on vacation, which was just terrific because it really gave us another opportunity and felt very, very comfortable doing it and now Mark is going to bring to leave horses out in California because it really pays, and the turf is good. And, you know, and, and again, you start looking at it from a business point of view, Zoe, and you say, Len, where don't you make money during the year? And it's usually January and February back here. And why? Because they don't have turf races. And you have turf horses. Isn't it a natural to go out to California. It, and again, if you can get top flight jockeys to, to ride for you and, and do it properly, well, I think it opens up a whole new area to do it with. And again, it's it's interesting because, again, Chad Brown and, and Seth Kerman are are people that we've done business with before, and, and they beat us again, okay, in, in that big race. And I said, thank you for congratulating me for running well. But I'll show you the, our, the, 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 our horses behind next time because we're going to do something different with Webslayer next time. But, yeah, it, it, you know, again, I think to be successful, and we, 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 we do about 800 clients in, in, the, in the horse business because I think we're the only CPA who's crazy enough to own 200 horses, and, yeah. you know, <laughs> have won 2,500 races, et cetera. I, I think we know how to run it as a business. And part of the business is to make sure that you run in races that you're less than 10 to one, because the betting public is a very smart public. And if they're telling you that your odds are more than 10 to one, I'm not so sure you should be running in those kinds of races. So that's what we try to do. And we try to have a variety of of horses, it's it's very interesting. We had Mike Rapoli up at at Babson. I I also teach up at Babson College, okay? And Mike's got so many more horses than anybody else, kind of thing. And he keeps on talking about, I hope I get lucky. I said, well, yeah, you're increasing your (laughs) odds of being lucky when you have 70-some-odd (laughs) two-year-olds. And so, so again, I, I think you have to have different mixes and you have to put them in different kinds of races. And then you have to be willing to sell them, okay, when they don't hit a certain level. So, yeah, California was a good experience, and I'm looking forward not only to, to run horses out there, but actually come out there and, and and do it, because now that I know the travel expenses are tax deductible and, and it counts toward my hours, what the heck? <laughs>
0: well, you know what, Len? I'll let you take me out to dinner, and you can expense it and write it off <laughs> on your taxes. How about that?
2: That is a fantastic <laughs> idea. Okay. And if if I took Bill out for supper, I could write it over as a bad debt. So, you know, it would be very, very good kind of thing. (laughs) All
1: right, Len, let's get into the weeds and some of the tax stuff that people need to know with April 15th, 2024, not too far away. So what steps do you have to take to operate your horse operation as a business and therefore increase the opportunities to be profitable?
2: Okay. Number one is, is such a simple one. And yet, the majority of people don't do it, Bill, and that is most people run their operation either as a sole proprietor or a two-person partnership, and they forget to do a limited liability company. Number one, from a, from a liability point of view, it really makes sense because we were up at Saratoga this past summer, and there was a horse went off the track and went running through the stable area, knocking down all kinds of people and i said i would not like to know but i would not like to be the owner of that horse okay if it's a sole proprietor because the lawsuits are going to be coming left and right so number one it gives you that that kind of protection and number two okay there's a lot more tax deductions you can take as an llc more than you can as a sole proprietor so again if, if you're if you're incurring expenses like your rental place up at Saratoga, or your, 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 your transportation back and forth to the events, or the T&E part of it. So much more of it, or the home office. These are all deductible, okay, in an LLC. Very hard to deduct them as a sole proprietor. So, again, that's, that's one. And you can do the LLC as of the end of the year, and you can still take all the expenses that you incurred during the year and superimpose it on that LLC tax return. So, again, two-person LLC. That gives you protection plus the additional deductions. Number two. Okay, keeping a record, not day-to-day record, but keeping some kind of record that clearly shows you've put in 100 or more hours. The majority of clients that we pick up, okay, we say to me, I've got losses, but I've never been able to take them. And I look at it it because they're passive. Well, of course you can't take deductions if you're passive. You can only take it against passive income, and very few people have that. So the idea is make yourself active and make yourself active with, with 100 hours or 500, whatever it takes in your particular situation, but, but do it that way. And again, it not only satisfies the active test is you would never run a business as a as a part time spectator. Most of the people in the horse business have made their, their money by being actively involved, knowing the business. So it's just a natural. Don't do it for necessarily for tax purposes, although it certainly helps, but do it just because you ought to know more about what's going on. And other people say to me, well, should I join a partnership? And I mean, you know, a real. Well, yeah, because a partnership may also lead you. To have a networking which would help your main business so again you you the hours not only are for the horses but also for your main business also kind of thing
0: what is so far so good what are some of the biggest mistakes that horse people make when it comes to taxes because we know all about horses but sometimes taxes elude us
2: yeah. Okay. They, they don't know that they, they say sometimes, Zoe, well, I bought a horse in December or November. Okay. All I can do is take a month. No, you can take the whole year. They, they don't realize that you can make an election to take it for the whole year, not just the month that you hold it. Somebody else sent me a return the other day and said, would you look at this tax return? I can't understand. I've been examined three years in a row. And their accountant put down activity hobby. <laughs> I got to tell you, you're going to be examined every year when you put down hobby instead of. And then number three, they, they 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 don't have a strategy. You got to have some kind of strategy. Now the strategy is not I hire an agent to buy my horses or I hire a trainer and he makes all the decisions. That's not a strategy. You, you gotta be involved so you understand what's going on in those, and, and then have a game plan. And the game plan is gonna be, hey, do I want a particular area that I wanna concentrate in? Do I wanna have fillies because I know there's some residual to them and the Colts I may not have. So again, it's the strategy also. And taking advantage of, 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 of some of the state programs I mean, where you get extra dollars and you're running in against state breads. These are all positive things. They may not necessarily, you'd say, be taxes. But the taxes part is if you own them with a strategy, I can show you how you can maximize those tax deductions. If you have an office in your home that you use to watch the races to do involved with, well, then why aren't you taking tax deductions for it? Well, my accountant says that that's a red flag. Well, it used to be a red flag, and it used to be that the IRS said you can't have a home office deduction if there's another place to do it. But that all those rules changed after the COVID, and you got to change with it.
0: That, that's good. So I can so imagine it's me, and we're at the end of the year. You did my taxes last year yeah, for the first and, time. And, 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 what else well, can the, I do? I wrote off my office. I, I wrote off Burt Reynolds over here in the corner. I, what else can I do
2: okay. to yeah, make let's, more let's, money? Yeah, let's stop. Yeah, let's let's stop with, with that one just for a second because that second one is a very important one. People say, well, to take a rental deduction, you have to be a real estate professional. No, there's a couple of exceptions. One is an income exception, and two is if you're renting to people in the business, okay, you can take a rental deduction, which we do for you. Okay. Three is what kind of pension plan? do you have? Well, well, I have an IRA or I have a simple... No, you want to maximize each of those pension things because the pension deduction doesn't have to be paid until next October 15th, and it still counts as it being made as of December 31st. So again, each person's OE and, and Bill are different, but you analyze what they're doing and then you look at the expenses and because we do so many tax returns i can and we use the irs checklist program i can tell you if you have something on your return that's going to trigger says the irs to look at it and we sit down with you and say hey do you have backup for this and let's do word it correctly okay so that that okay so you don't put down betting expenses. Okay, you put down okay an analysis of blah, blah. so again we take it out of the, the category that's red flag and we put it into a category that is acceptable.
1: How do you, ma- How do you maximize your tax deductions?
2: Okay, number one, you sit down now before the end of the year and have somebody look at what you are doing. For instance, if you owned horses and and you sent me, okay, I've had this many expenses through. October, or the, okay, I would say to you, wait a second, I know, having owned, okay, 200 horses myself, okay, I know what the expenses, I know what the ratios are, I know what you're missing, okay, you're missing this and that and the other, have you donated any horses, where is this horse, okay, when did you buy it, well, I bought it, but I didn't pay for it, and I don't have to pay for it until January, doesn't make any difference when you pay for it, it's, it's when you take a title, and when you put it in use, that's deductible. Well, I bought a yearling, and my accountant says that I can't take a tax deduction until a two-year-old year. Wrong. If that horse is in training, okay, you can take it now. Okay, uh, I have a weanling that I expect to pinhook. Well, maybe if that—that's the purpose, then deductions involving the, the training are deductible now. It doesn't have to be capitalized. Well, what happens if I have a stud? What happens if I buy a mare in, in November? Or, or, or December, and it's in full, you can actually take the stud fee as a deduction. Though what I'm saying is that that whether you use me or, or, or somebody else that's knowledgeable, somebody who is knowledgeable will be able to look at, at at your expenses and tell you, okay, here's the way to do it. Well, then, uh, I, I went over the, the limit last year as far as as the allowable deductions, That's fine. What do you mean it's fine? It means that 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 becomes a net operating loss carry forward and it's deductible the following year. So again, in in your planning, here's some of the things that you should do. Should I pay a stud fee early? Well, you say, why should I pay a stud fee when I have a live full until that? Because maybe you can get a deduction and and a reduction of of the stud fee because the farm may very well say to you, hey, if you want to pay it in, in advance, OK, you can still keep it as a live full, but, but I'll give you a discount on it. So, again, there's business and tax bill that you can do. And it's just crazy not to do them and take advantage of it if you could.
0: And, Len, I've got one final question. This is Sue Finley's Christmas present from me. Does it pay to advertise in the TDM?
2: Yeah. Again, let, let's go back to that question in in, in two ways, Sue. Okay, number one, I said that, that I think it's worthwhile because it adds to the active business and you really want to be active because if active and you have losses, you can take them against all of your income. Whereas if it's passive losses, it can only be taken against passive income and very few people have passive income. And number two, from a strategy point of view, and we've handled hundreds of revenue examinations and, you know, Knockwood to date, we haven't lost any of them kind of thing. And one of the ways of showing somebody that somebody is involved in it as a business is to show that you've read the things like TDN, you've listened to this show. Okay. You've asked questions, you know, again, That's part of the strategy. And if you have a strategy, even if the strategy doesn't necessarily work out and you've lost money for the year, you can show that you're in it as a business and not in it as a hobby.
1: So, Len, before we let you go, one last question. Uh, A new uh, way of doing things in thoroughbred racing this year. Is Heisa good or bad for the horse industry?
2: Well, not only Heisa, but also PETA, okay, I I think both of them – are, are in for a positive kind of reaction. I think as an industry, and again, I love this industry. We've been in it for a long, long time, and we've had certain things that we said, hey, need change in it. And with, with change, okay, there's always, you can't do it perfect the first time. So I really think that Lisa got is doing a wonderful job on starting it, and yes, there is going to be blips in the area, and we're going to go after little trainers sometime because they, they don't know who it is. But important thing is when those blips occur, they look at it, we look at it, the industry looks at it, people come out of the woodwork to help. Okay, Pimatols and, and things. I think those are all good. I think it's good to look at the two-year-old okay sales and say, hey, is there a better way to to, to, to do it? OK, I'm not saying eliminate them, but I'm saying, is there a better way of of doing it? I think the more we look at it ourselves, and the more we show the public that we're interested in this thing. It's good for the industry.
1: Well, and it's great to always have you as a guest. Thank you so much for your support of the TDN Writers Room. You've been with us since day one, and I hope we're sending a lot of our listeners and viewers your way as Green Group customers. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, We learn so much from you every time when we have you on. So thanks so much. And, And, uh, Bill, can I I throw
2: one more quick advertisement on? Okay. We'll be happy to do a confidential and complimentary review of anyone's returns that they want to send us to, to, to look at. And then if we, if we show you, and I'll guarantee you, okay, we'll come up with $2,500 of deductions that your accountant hasn't taken. If I'm wrong, I'll donate 250 bucks to a, to a horse charity. But and, but one more step, I don't care. I really don't care whether you then end up using us or not. I just want more people to stay in this business because I think it's a great business to be in. And you guys keep doing what you're doing right, Okay.
1: Thanks so much, Len. We'll catch up with you again in a few months. Best of luck with DJ Stables going forward. Amen. Amen. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, Len Green will receive a free one-hour tax consultation with, well, himself, actually. For more information on how the Green Group can save you taxes, visit www.greenco.com.
3: We'll be right back after this message from the Green Group. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. Like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonder Wheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies has produced positive results for his clientele and has made The Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Liam's Map, a two-time grade one winner with six consecutive triple-digit buyers, including a 114 to win the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. He's already taking the lead as a sire with grade one winners Basin, Wicked Whisper, Colonel Liam, and Juju's Map, plus multiple six-figure yearling sales and two-year-old sales up to $1.2 million. Proven on the track, proven in the sales ring. Liam's Map, only at Lane's End
0: do want to remind you that the TDN Writers' Room is also brought to you by Lane's End. The Lane's End Stallion of the Week is none other than Archangelo, available for inspection at Lane's End Farms. He was a back-to-back grade one winner, and in fact the only two-time grade one winning three-year-old cult of 2023, and he'll be standing for 35000 at Lane's End if you loved Arrogate. You have to like Archangelo. He is going to be absolutely beautiful. Having seen him in person at Santa Anita, I can only imagine what he is going to look like next year. He ran buyers of 105 and 103 and was a three-time graded stakes winner. He is Archangelo standing at Lane's End for 35000 Go see him.
1: Zoe, there was a lot of grumbling coming into the fall. of this Cigar Mile had been downgraded from a two to a one. Uh, the race had been around for 34 years, had been a Grade one the whole time. You mentioned some of the more recent winners. But how about some of the winners back when this race started? You had 49er Quiet American Cigar win in the first within the first six years. Um, and we've seen Naira in particular really get pounded by the Graded Stakes Committee. Uh, the Woodward, one of the great races in the American Racing Calendar, is now a grade two. The Wood Memorial is a grade two. The Beldame, a grade two. Now, having said all that, I don't think the Graded Stakes Committee has gone nearly far enough. And people have been talking about this, and it's going to be a tough pill to swallow. But we have to drastically cut down on the number of Graded Stakes races and scale back ones to twos, twos to threes, threes to listed. And... Here's why we're dealing with a very different set of circumstances um, from 15 years ago. So take these numbers. In 2008, there were 32,332 foals. They had 110 grade one races and 481 graded races. In 2023, there was 17,000 foals um, and you had uh, ninety. Can't even read my goddamn writing. Ninety-seven Grade One uh races and four hundred and forty graded stakes races. So full crop has gone down by forty-seven percent. The number of graded races has gone down by eight point three percent, and the number of graded one races has gone down only by eleven point eight percent. It is time for some serious tough love. And, you know, this is just this is just not working. And, you know, if I had time, I could come up. How many of these races had four and five horses in them as well? Um, you can't use a system that worked in 2008, have a major shift in the breeding industry, and use that same system in 2023. And I, I I can come up with a lot of races, not just the Cigar Mile, that I think should be downgraded. And I'll start with one coming up your way, the Malibu. Grade one, restricted to three-year-olds? No, thank you. That's not a grade one race. Really? Yeah. I think
0: of the horses that have won it. I mean, you, you shouldn't, peanut, it's the last grade one for three-year-olds before they face older. I mean, they will be four-year-olds next year. But it's, it's a race that people point to. It's a
1: good race. All right. Well, my point on that is that a race restricted to three-year-olds in December should not be a grade one. But maybe that was a a poor choice of races because you're right. I mean, Flightline won. Yeah, I mean, you can't
0: downgrade that race when you think of all of the champions that have won it over the past few years. And yes, maybe Baffert and a few others have dominated. They shouldn't be penalized for winning these races. Okay. So they shouldn't be downgraded. I have a perfect example of a, a downgrade that I don't think. Well, I mean, yes, now it looks like it was perfectly done. All right. The Santa Anita Derby was downgraded in, I mean, the Santa Anita Oaks was downgraded in 2017, right? When they downgraded it in 2017, Midnight Bisou, Paradise Woods, Songbirds, Stella Wind, fashion plate. Okay. Beholder had all won this race and yet they downgraded it. Like after Midnight Bisou won it. Like why? Now, since then, maybe not quite so good. Swiss Diver, yes. Uh, Soothsay, Desert Dawn, phaser she would have been the favorite in the Oaks. But why would you downgrade the Santa Anita Oaks to a grade two Right after Midnight Bisou, Paradise Woods and Songbird won it, just because they were small fields? That's not really fair. That's my argument. All right, well, let's I, go back to my I get where go, you're coming
1: from. Right, yeah. Absolutely. So let's go back to my original point. And maybe we, we got I I took us down a wrong path, perhaps with the Malibu. But you know, do you see my point that this this just is it it's not It's not an accurate assessment of the quality of these races anymore, and that affects the breeding markets. I mean, you know, so-and-so won three grade one races, and he's going to be a great sire. Well, maybe those three grade one races should have been grade twos, and then you're talking about something entirely differently.
0: No, no, I'm absolutely with you on that. And the fact that you've laid it out also clearly, the full crop has declined by 40-something percent, well, then the graded stakes should probably decline the same way. Because otherwise you're getting, you know, listed horses winning grade twos and and grade one races. I'm I'm with you with that. The problem that we have is where do you take those graded stakes from? Racetracks themselves, that is their lifeline. They want to hold on to these graded stakes races to make themselves, you know, they're important. These grade one races, if you run a racetrack that has no graded stakes, who's going to visit you? You know? Chad Brown's not going to visit your racetrack, but Baffert's not coming. You don't have a graded stakes. But if you throw in these graded stakes races, they will come and people will bet on them. And it just generates revenue. So the problem is going to be where do you take these graded stakes race from? Who makes the decision? That It's it's going to be a lot to try and well, And facilitate. it's not going to happen
1: overnight. And no? they have cut down, but, but they're going at too slow a pace you know every year we get a couple more went down and look i based on the numbers the 47% decline in in, in the number in the fall crop where you're only got uh 11% decline in grade ones if if they wanted to uh, uh make those numbers even overnight um what would that be they would get rid of 30 grade ones in in one year something like that i'm not suggesting that but you know, you need to do, instead of getting rid of two a year, you need to get rid of seven a year or something like that. Who's in and
0: charge of the Greatest Stakes you know, Committee?
1: What's that? Who's in charge of it? Toba. Toba. Yeah. And, and, you know, we don't want to see that happen. All right. I'm going to, this I know you're definitely going to disagree with, but <laughs> and it's a little bit off the wall, but should derby prep races be grade ones? Should a prep race for a grade one also be a grade one? Yeah. Okay. I'm not so sure they should, Zoe. They're important races. I know they're important races, but, y- you know, look, y- y- just that they're important races doesn't necessarily mean that they have the quality of uh, a grade one field. I-, I mean, you know, what we're having now is we're almost now have super grade ones and grade ones. Super grade ones are the uh, uh, Triple Crown races, the Breeders' Cup, Travers, Everyone Whitney, knows that, though. Pegasus World Cup. But, you know, the, uh, so, so let's take a look the, the Carter, which is, I, I I would be pretty sure is not going to be a grade one next year. But that's, how does the Carter wind up in the same category as the Kentucky Derby? So, you know, I, I, now I'm really getting weird. Uh, make, make them four <laughs> grades. Okay. I think they're a one, two, three, and four, but uh, nobody wants to listen to me anyway. So
0: no, I mean, I see your point, but I mean, how often does the best horse not win the Kentucky Derby? More so you're often gonna than not. you're yes. gonna penalize the best horse for winning the Grade One, the Grade Two Florida Derby, and not getting a great trip in a twenty horse field in the Kentucky Derby? It doesn't make any sense.
1: All right, I, I'm coming I, up with. I I see I'm where coming you're coming from problems. to <laughs> a, a point. <laughs> We'll Never get, said this was going to be easy.
0: We'll get Randy to weigh in on this next week because I know he's going to have an opinion as well.
1: Yes, and it'll have something to do with Oliver Wendell Holmes' decision in the 1934 <laughs> case of uh, Bob Baffert versus the uh, uh, Arizona Racing Commission.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll text him right now. He can start working on it. We'll oh, give yeah. him a week to yeah. prepare. I'm kind
1: of glad that uh, we didn't have uh, Randy on for this segment because i got a feeling he could have maybe cut me to ribbons. Um, But I don't know where (laughs) he stands on this. But uh, he's not a guy that I want to match, uh, go toe-to-toe with uh, when we're on opposite sides of the spectrum because uh, Randy's pretty darn good.
0: The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by XBTV. Remember Forbidden Kingdom? At three, he won the San Vicente, the San Felipe, and was second. In the Malibu, now he hasn't raced since finishing fourth in the Triple triple Bend in May, but just watch him work here. He's working solo and has been working right along. The Richard Mandeli trainee turned in an effortless half-mile work in 46-3. and Now I urge you to log on to xbtv.com and take a look at this work. I'm not sure you're going to see a horse work any easier than Forbidden Kingdom. We'll see where he winds up but he'll be coming to a race to you soon.
3: All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit WestPointTB.com.
1: TDN Riders Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie. Jackson Traveler reignited his career and became a stakes winner for the fourth season in a row Tuesday night when he sped to a five and a half length romp in the $100,000 Zia Park Sprint in New Mexico. In the process, he accounted for the 1,100th all-time win for West Point thoroughbreds. It's a big number for those guys. Congratulations. And, tr- excuse me, interested in joining a West Point partnership? To learn more, visit westpointtv.com.
0: And, Bill, while you're, while you're talking about big numbers, I just want to give a shout-out to one Giovanni Franco, who notched his 1,000th winner via DQ at Del Mar. And two, to my good buddy, James Graham, if anybody knows James Graham, they will know he is the hardest working, nicest, funnest, greatest guy you'd ever want to meet for win number 3000 at the fairgrounds. I've known him and his wife, Lisa, since they came over in 2002. And I can remember asking him, Bill, when he had the bug, because he didn't light the world on fire with his bug. I'm like, what's going to happen when you lose your bug? You know, I did pretty good through my bug year. And he was like, "Eh, I'll just go back to galloping. It's fine. I'm having a good time. Mm -hmm. Just a great guy and a big congratulations to James Graham.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Great to see him doing so well. All right. So that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partner, Zoe Cadman, and our Green Group Guest of the Week, Len Green, our associate producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony Laraca, and our editors, Leah Laraca and Nathan Wilkinson. We'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us on the TDN Writer's Room Podcast.
0: Cheers, Bill.